The views and opinions expressed by A Little Bit Culty are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the podcast. Any content provided by our guests, bloggers, sponsors, or authors are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, group, club, organization, business individual, anyone, or anything. Hey, everybody. I'm Sarah Edmondson. And I'm Anthony Ames, a.k.a. Nippy. And we just want to welcome you to season three of A A Little Little Bit Bit Culty. Once upon a time, we were in a cult called Nexium. We didn't know it was a cult when we joined, because as a wise man once said, nobody joins a cult. They join a good thing. For a minute, it was a good thing. That's where we met, fell in love, got married, started a family. The stuff of storybooks. Even the part where we woke up, escaped, became whistleblowers, and helped bring it all down? You call that shit show a storybook? Seeing the mastermind of Nexium get sentenced to 120 years in prison? That's a storybook ending, if you ask me. The whole thing was captured on HBO's hit docuseries, The Vow. A new season is coming out any moment, if it isn't out already by the time you hear this. And I published a memoir called Scarred, which is available anywhere books are sold. And now we have a podcast. Every week on A Little Bit Culty, we call on experts, advocates, fellow survivors, and whistleblowers to help us unpack what's going on in the cultiverse. And now we're turning our story into wisdom for other people. Like, I wish I'd known that calling yourself Vanguard was a bit of a red flag. Yeah, big red flag. We've got a lot to cover. So let's get this show rolling, shall we? Welcome to A Little Bit Culty, an A-cast podcast about the fads, beliefs, and trends that blur the line between devotion and destruction. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And to learn more, visit us on Instagram or a littlebitculty.com. How are you? How are you today? I'm good. I think Pokemon's a cult. You're just going to jump in. Yeah. No, I just, just What's culty about, about it? What specific processes of abuse of power do you see with Pokemon? So there's this leader, Pokemon or Pikachu. Get right? it straight, first of all. Well, well, Pokemon is the genre or whatever it is, but Pikachu, that's the cult leader. They all bow down to him. They're all on his timestamp. They're all doing what he wants. I think you should definitely do a deep dive, but I also feel like you might have some trust issues that you have to overcome. I say we interview our seven-year-old and be like, you're in a cult. I actually do think we should have Troy on as an episode. I mean, just to like weigh in on something. (laughs) I think he'd make a great guest. He would be a fun guest. Yeah, he would. You know who's a really fun guest? Let me guess. Alice? Alice, our guest today. I mean, honestly. I knew it. I know. Good segue. Okay, look, backtrack for a second. One of the silver linings of this whole shit show is that we've met some of the coolest people and we never would have met otherwise. And we're still meeting them. We're still meeting cool people. And this is somebody who I met on a clubhouse, a random clubhouse that I was invited to speak on last summer when we were in Atlanta with Stephen Hassan, who we've had on before. And it was put together by this woman named Taryn Southern. And yeah, the clubhouse was really interesting. And Alice shared a little bit of her story. And she talked about the neurotheology of mystical experiences. And my nerdy little brain was just exploding with excitement. Which we should just do an episode on neurotheology at some point. Okay. Carry yeah. On. This episode touches on it. But not only that, but, but when I like looked her up on social media, as you do, I was like, I love this woman. She's just... She really shines. She's just got such a beautiful, kind and sweet and true essence. And I loved her book. You know me. I, I do. I am an mm-hmm. easy crier, but I, I I cried throughout the book in multiple moments. And I cannot recommend it enough. Wayward, a memoir of spiritual warfare and sexual purity. You can get the audio version as well. Available wherever books are sold. And you can attest to the fact, Nippy, that I was reading it. I was like, oh, she's going to make such a good guest. Oh, yeah. You hit a home run with that one. Thanks. Once again, <laughs> Alice Gretchen is an actress, author, and founder of Dare to Doubt. Midwest-raised and L.A.-based, Alice's nomadic childhood moved her around the United States until her modeling career as a teenager led to an acting career in Hollywood. Alice is fascinated by the subjective experience of life which she explores through acting and storytelling. Her own story includes a painful yet rewarding transition from Christianity to atheism, a journey that inspired her to found daretodoubt.org. 
a resource site for people detaching from belief systems they come to find harmful. Encouraging people to trust themselves and live courageously in their own truth is what gives Alice a sense of purpose. She lives in Los Angeles and loves hiking, traveling, and the relentless pursuit of knowledge. Without further ado, Alice Gretchen. So we've done two full seasons, barely scratching the surface of religious trauma and the correlations between various religions and cultic abuse. And as soon as I read your book, I was, I mean, A, I resonated deeply with you as a person and and many of the experiences, even though it was so different, like the content of our lives were so different. Just a little preface on something, the way we research is that we don't ingest the same content. So I read your book, Nippy read your articles, and that we find like gives us different angles to ask questions on, mm, you know? Yeah. 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 So, he, so he, in case you're wondering and, and anyway, I was reading it and going like, Oh my God, A, I just felt like, even though you were born into, and I'm going to obviously ask you to share more of this if you don't mind, but yeah. And then, am I saying this right? Like, would you say that you were born into an evangelical Christian framework or how do you describe what you were born into or what your parents chose? Yeah. I'm comfortable with that descriptor. Okay. You know, it's interesting. My family considered ourselves non-denominational and Mm -hmm. it was always so emphatically drilled into us that we were not religious. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so it was like a very confusing thing. And so, but the secular media would have definitely called us evangelical because we were like the anti-gay marriage, purity ring wearing, end times prophesying brand of Christianity. And the Christian media outlets would have described us as charismatic or vineyard, which are like these little sub-denominations within the (laughs) non-denominational world. It's very, very confusing. But yeah, evangelical is a descriptor that I've freely used and that I continue to use because it's it's a way to thin slice my background to people who may not be familiar with it. Most of us have heard of, you know, the evangelical voting block. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And one of our formats for our podcast is asking people with the cult emphasis of like, how did you get in and like, what hooked you and what, what did you think you were getting into, which I know doesn't really apply to you because your parents brought you into it. So what do you think when they started going on this path, what were they signing up for? Like, how would you define what that choice was for them Hmm. in the best way that you can project anyway? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, my dad was raised Presbyterian, more of a traditional cultural thing is the, is the impression that I get from how he described his, his upbringing. You just go to church on Sunday and that's just what you Mm do. He grew up in New Jersey and my dad became bored again like the more evangelical type of brand of Christian when he was 27, when he believed that Jesus healed his leg from a motorcycle accident. That kind of propelled his personal relationship with Jesus and God. And when he met my mother, he was in his, gosh, probably late 20s, early 30s, I forget. But my mom converted to Christianity in her early 20s. She was raised by an atheist father and a Buddhist mother because her mother's from Korea. And it was not really important to my grandma to teach her kids much about religion. My mom is a very private person. And honestly, I don't really know the full story of her conversion any more than she just believed that there was love there, that there was a a God of love that just loved her and everyone unconditionally. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what compelled her to convert to Christianity. And then together, my parents, by the time I was born, they belonged to the Foursquare Gospel denomination. So one time they were denominational. Mm -hmm. And the Foursquare Gospel Church is based in Pentecostalism. And that was pretty consistent throughout my upbringing, the Pentecostalist roots. And for anyone who doesn't know, it's very uh, holy roller, holy spirit driven. It's not so focused on liturgy as it is the experience of God through the manifestations of the spirit, such as prophesying, speaking in tongues, having visions. We called it getting slain, getting Mm -hmm. slain by the spirit, which usually visually often looked like you would fall to the floor and like shake and have these bodily seizures 
while receiving visions from God. And sometimes it wouldn't be quite so physically theatrical. Sometimes it would just be you're just crying in your chair, you know, or like weeping uncontrollably as you're undergoing what I've come to describe now as a mystical experience. Right. And I want to at some point circle back to that and understand your understanding of that now, what happens in the brain when that happens, yeah. but, which is, we'll have to bookmark that because I have many questions. But just to kind of give people an idea of your childhood. And I have to say, like, I, I really loved the book. I didn't want to put it down. I loved your stories. I, I was impressed by how much you could remember. Like, I, I know when I wrote mine, I couldn't even access so many <laughs> years of my life. And you really brought me along with all of these moments that I could totally relate to your ongoing struggle with trying to understand this way of this framework that you'd been given from such an early age as a Sunday school student, you know, mm. and, and, and then interfacing with the world and how you would come to believe what you believed. And then, and then the moments of question and the mo moments of doubt, which is part of our, again, our framework where we ask people, like, when you look back at your involvement in the, in whatever group it was, what were the red flags along the way or the things that you now understand were problematic or your gut instinct, but you didn't know how to make sense of it because you, you didn't have the knowledge you have now. Mm -hmm. Oh man, so, so many. <laughs> yes. Um, Maybe just one or two because yeah. I remember in the book being Pick like, one. <laughs> yeah. Whew. I think for me, the crux of confusion that always came up as a red flag was never being able to trust whether I was hearing from God or Satan or myself. And mm -hmm. many ways I felt like I didn't exist in this belief system. My heart was a battleground for the ultimate battle between good and evil. And it was any thought I had, any intuition, any gut instinct I had, I learned to filter through the lens of viewing that as either the voice of God or attempting from the devil, because I never understood how people heard from God. God never spoke to me. And, you know, people would say, oh, it's not like an audible voice, like a person talking. It's, it's just like a voice in your head that's not from your own thought. And I didn't know how to discern what thoughts were from me and what thoughts were from God, you know, or, or worse, what thoughts might be from Satan. And so maybe that's probably the, the simplest way to sort of describe all of the little micro moments I would have. For instance, say I wanted to listen to a CD. I was not really allowed to listen to secular music as in non-Christian music. We were allowed to listen to like Disney songs, like the Lion King soundtrack, for example. But for the most part, my media intake was very limited. And I remember a friend had given me like an NSYNC CD or a Backstreet Boys CD. And I, my parents, because it had been a gift, like, you know, they, they looked at it, they evaluated it, they decided to let me keep it, especially when I convinced them that the lyrics in my heart were about God, not about a girl. Mm -hmm. That would be an instance where like, I wasn't sure if it was my own selfish ulterior motives wanting to listen to the CD, whether it was Satan tempting me into the secular realm through music, or whether it was a really genuine, like, no, in, in my heart, the lyrics really are about God and about how he wants to save me and bring me from darkness to light. And, you know, how, how, like he should be my fire and one desire. Uh, <laughs> and so like, cause there was a part of me that really sincerely would translate those lyrics to God. I don't know that it's like all those little micro decisions that we make from what we wear to what we listen to, to bigger life decisions. As I got older, what career I chose, yeah. you know, I, I became an actor, not because I ever wanted to act. I didn't, I was terrified of it. I really believed that God was calling me to it and opening up a door. And then it also occurred to me, maybe this is a door Satan's opening because it's so worldly. It's so gratifying of the flesh. You know, there's fame, there's pretty dresses, there's sex. You know, how could God possibly be calling me to such a hedonistic industry? Oh, obviously, because it's so broken and it needs him so desperately. It needs his love. Like there, mm. I could never tell right. what was me, what was God and what was Satan. Sounds like that binary process that you had became the red flag. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. was definitely a red flag, um, especially when as I got older, things didn't add up. The thing that struck me the most when I was reading your book, it reminded me actually of our conversation. I don't know if you know who John DeLynn is, who's been very outspoken no. about. Oh, he's great. If you do that series, you need to have John as one of your guests. He's like the the Leah Remini of Mormon, he's great. the Mormon really church. Good, yeah. Yeah. Ah, yeah okay. he's, he's really great. And we had him on and 
when I was studying Mormonism to prep for that episode, I was just really struck by how every now and then there's just this man who's like, well, I spoke to God and God said, I need to take little Tammy here to be my wife, even though she's underage, but God said, right. And I's like, what the fuck? How do you know that's what God like? You're just what you want. <laughs> just you pervert. Yes. <laughs> I also Nippy will attest to this that I like things a certain way. I like to have be in control. I like routine. And Nippy Alice's parents moved all around the country, mm. and it was really hard as a child to like not know where you're gonna sleep and you know if you have a bed or you didn't have even have your, any of your own space. That would have driven me crazy. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but specifically how your parents were like. You know, God, and I'd never heard this phrase before, God put it on our hearts that we are going to, you know, go on this trip or that we're going to sell our house and basically saying what God said. And then for me, someone who didn't have God in my life at all growing up mm. as a concept, I was like, how do you know that that's God? Like, that was my first tug of like major discomfort and wanting to be like an intermediary and and jump in there and be like, wait a second, like, how did you even come to that conclusion? And it seems like there's this process when you have a religious framework where you're connected to, for me, what I would call my intuition or something or like my higher mm. self or, mm-hmm. but they felt so sure that this is the right thing to do because God said, or God has guided them. And it, it just seems so arbitrary in many points in your life from your book, an answer to this, it would be because that's what God wants. And I was like, well, it could be interpreted the opposite. So I just don't understand how anyone feels good in that framework. Because like you said, how do you know what the voice is? Yes. Is that an accurate assessment? Yes. Yes. So one of the things that jumped out to me when I was reading your book, Sarah, was the way that Nexium kind of did this to you guys too. They taught you to doubt your own intuition. Yes. There were suppressive people, but there was a different term that was the way I translate it when I read it was you suppress yourself, like you yes. gaslight yourself. Basically, anytime you question authority, it's because you are the one with the issue. That's mm-hmm. how I felt with God. Yes. Mm-hmm. There were so many moments when I was reading your book, when I was reading the, the verbiage that you guys used, I made little notes in the margins like, oh, that's just a way of saying Satan's got a foothold on your heart. Yeah. And you need to talk mm-hmm. to God about that and get clear with him. And God will reveal to you what your sin is. You should just know, you mm-hmm. know, ask God to reveal it to you. Well, it's a big problem when God doesn't fucking talk to you. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like things like that, that whole um, self doubt. And that's one of the things that I've worked the hardest and I'm still working on yes. <laughs> to trust in myself today is how to tell when I'm just in a place of reactiveness or defensiveness, or when I'm just, again, reverting to that old habit of gaslighting myself, mm-hmm. telling myself like, oh no, I'm just being resistant to correction. Oh, my ego is just getting in the way. You know, a secular mm-hmm. slash spiritual term for that is like, check your ego. You know, mm-hmm. everyone loves to talk about overcoming the right. ego and transcending the ego. And I'm like, no, your ego in my language, is your instinct. That's your gut instinct. Right. If we are to survive as a species, we must listen to our ego in its healthiest sense. Because mm-hmm. I also understand what For people sure. mean when colloquially they speak of having an unhealthy, inflated ego. These words can be so nuanced and come to mean yes. so many right. different things. <laughs> um, right. Sorry, That's that true. was a little off track. We tangent all the time in this podcast okay. and, we, and we circle back. And, I, I, and Sarah circles back. I'll, and I want to circle yeah. back to something since we're, you know, kind of comparing the other thing that struck me as a a red flag that I projected mm-hmm. for you. And you one of the very first things you shared was your your moment of trying to be slain and wanting to be slain mm-hmm. and and encountering this pastor who can I tell this and you tell me yeah. if it's about right? Okay. It's yeah, a, yeah. It's a traumatic moment. Like it really like when I when I read it, I cried for you because I was like, that is an awful thing to do to a little girl where you were wanting to stand on the stage and have his hands on you and be slain and you didn't feel anything. And he like crushed your skull and threw you down on the floor. And I was like, motherfucker, what an ass. I was so mad at him and I was mad at the whole system. And I wanted to just like pick you up and take you out of there and tell you that you didn't have to do that anymore. <laughs> like <laughs> I just wanted to intervene so many times in your, in your memoir. But the reason I brought it up is Nippy and I were talking about today, how so many times in Nexium we didn't get what was going on or we'd like other people seem to be having major breakthroughs. And we, we also faked it. Like we also kind of went along with it and we was like, yeah, this is amazing. Wow. I'm, ooh, mind blown. But we really, <laughs> we really didn't. Oh, I mean, sometimes I did. Sometimes I really did have profound experiences, but I really also resonated with that whole kind of just going along with it. Yeah. And there's also something to be said for um, 
they didn't quite call it this in the churches that I went to, but like a fake it till you make it mentality. Right. Uh, what How they described that in my churches was if you act in faith, God will reward your faith and give you the real thing. Basically, mm-hmm. in so many ways saying, go through the motions and just trust that the spirit will come. Just, you know, like go through, go through the motions. And, and, you know, so for a while I earnestly did that. And yeah, that story you're referring to when I was a little kid, I couldn't have been more earnest, you know, just like, please, Holy Spirit, come slay me, come slay me. Why is it taking so long for me to fall over? Like this guy's been praying for me for, it's got to have been a few minutes now. And why aren't I falling? And finally, he just made me fall. He just pushed me. And yeah, in retrospect, I can definitely see that as a red flag moment. My 10 year old self just saw that as a moment of personal defectiveness. Right. Of like, there's something wrong with me. Like, yeah. There's something broken and sinful about me. We tell our stories. We change the world. A Little Bit Culty is proud to support the hashtag I Got Out Project, which empowers survivors of cultic abuse to share their stories online as a catalyst for education, prevention, and healing. Learn more about the hashtag I Got Out movement and find resources at igotout.org. Truth time. Leaving a cult is stressful. Nippy's hair took a big hit. Mine too, to be honest. But that's just life. Stress and hormone fluctuations and all kinds of things can show up in your hair. That's why I'm glad I found Nutrafol. I feel like my hair is already healthier. Nutrafol's whole body approach multi-targets underlying root causes like stress, hormone fluctuations, and nutrient gaps for visibly thicker, stronger hair. It's physician formulated. Plus, I love that it's 100% drug-free and packed with vitamins, minerals, and natural ingredients. I've already noticed that I shed far less, and I am thrilled with the results. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code CULTI. Find out why over 400 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, Promo code CULTI. That's Nutrafol.com. Promo code CULTI. Enjoy. Hello, CULTI friends. Sarah here. As you probably know about us, we are always on the go. Sometimes between the boy schedule, the podcast, and just life in general, it feels like somebody permanently pressed the fast forward button. We are still working on slowing down where we can, but until we figured out how to bend the rules of space and time, we still have to solve for snacks because no matter how busy or unbusy we are, we still got to eat, you know? And as a mom, I'm always searching for the healthy snacks on the go and to fill my pantry with things that the boys will actually eat. Luckily, Chomps is that perfect snack and we can always keep them with us. We always have their meat sticks on hand in the car, in my purse, my yoga bag, in the boys' lunches, wherever they need them so we can refuel with something tasty that has clean, wholesome ingredients. Chomps meat sticks have over nine grams of protein and no unhealthy additives or sugar. Plus they're low carb, keto-friendly, allergy-friendly, and don't contain any fillers. From weight management to better metabolism, hormone regulation, and bone health, the benefits of a high protein diet are abundant. But most of us aren't getting enough protein in our diet as is. Chomps make that easy to get protein in your diet while on the go. Right now, Chomps is offering our listeners 20% off your first order and free shipping when you go to chomps.com slash culty. Go to chomps.com slash culty to see all the delicious flavors and get 20% off your first order and free shipping. That's C-H-O-M-P-S dot com slash culty. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. Happy snacking. Did anyone learn a language in high school and then let it go and then have regrets about that later? If you're anything like me, then maybe you'll relate. I did French all the way up into 12th grade and then I let it go. I mean, I lived in Montreal for a few years and, you know, practiced a bit, but it just slipped away. And then I found Babbel. Babbel is the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions. And thanks to Babbel's addictively fun and easy little bite-sized language lessons, I've been able to get back my French. 
I've actually found learning French to be fun again. And c'est vrai, je parle français. <laughs> With Babbel, you only need 10 minutes to complete a lesson, so you can start having real-life conversations in a new language in as little as three weeks. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 150 language experts and voiced by real native speakers, not computers. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. And with Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Formidable. That means wonderful in French. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. Clearly still working on that. There are so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com and use promo code CULTI. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com, code CULTI. Our team at A Little Bit Culty Podcast loves the Blood Ties podcast because it is gritty and current and fascinating. It's also a little bit culty. Blood Ties, the award-winning audio drama from Wondery, returns for its third season, Strange Days, with another thrilling story about greed, power, and deception. Five years have passed since Eleanor, played by Jillian Jacobs of Community, took over as CEO of the infamous Richland Family Empire, alongside her half-brother, Santino, played by Christian Navarro of 13 Reasons Why. Together, they decide to invest the family fortune in a groundbreaking, controversial new drug. But as shocking revelations about the new treatment emerge, Eleanor and Santino go to every length to protect their control of the Richland family dynasty. As Eleanor's father always said, medicine is a bloody business. Listen to Blood Ties, Season 3, Strange Days, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or you can binge the whole series now, early and ad-free, by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. That's the crime of this whole thing Ooh. to me. Yeah. To me, that's the crime. You know, they start you early and you're constantly, before you've even grown up and formed your framework, they're get, convincing you that there's something to fix. Yes. And that's the concept of, of original sin. You yes. Know, you're, yep. you're born needing salvation as an infant, as a newborn. You know, you're already deceitfully wicked, as the Bible says, and in need of a savior. And, you know, I do think it's worth bringing up too that that's one of the other hurdles to overcome for people who are born into a belief system like this, as opposed sure. to joining it as an adult. I think that they both have their difficulties that are so different. Uh, many adults I speak with who leave belief systems, we could just call them belief systems, whether it's a cult or a religion. I, I've seen that a lot of people who joined as adults tend to struggle with a lot more shame. Yeah. I mean, this is just anecdotal, you know, a lot more mm -hmm. personal shame of how could I have been so duped? Why didn't I yeah. see it? You know, whereas kids, it's like, well, I didn't know better, but there's right. other layer, other hurdles that second generation belief system exiters need to overcome too. You know, I don't, I don't think it's harder for one or the other. I think they both it's have different. different. It's different. It's a, it's a really good distinction because it seems just because we have quote unquote, a normal context that we can compare it to. And mm. that's what we compare our red flags to. Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean our normal foundation is that much better than <laughs> any other indoctrination. We just have a concept of what's normal. And I think the distinction might be in that scenario is we have an abusive atmosphere versus a non-abusive atmosphere. And then mm -hmm. the ones that become abusive against our instincts become the red flags, whereas yours is what you aptly described as, am I good or bad? Am I making a good or bad decision? A good or bad decision, which is mm -hmm. somewhat similar. Yeah. And you know, I think... As I'm thinking about it, a couple other red flag moments came to me. One from when I was really little, which I do write about in my book, which was the first time I realized, like, why does God let children die? Mm -hmm. I remember I was seven years old listening to this pastor talk about how his toddler daughter suffocated to death in a dry cleaning bag by accident. And I remember thinking like, but wait, God's supposed to be all powerful. And he didn't do anything. He didn't save her. Her family are believers. Why wouldn't he save his believers? That was like a red flag, an early on red flag. Mm -hmm. And then right. I remember another one that I did not, it had to get cut from my book was when I was probably 15, 15 or 16, the, the girls in my youth group did like a girl night sleepover and we were playing games and I'm rusty on the details now, but I remember one of the 
games was actually a prank where the girl was led in front of all the other girls. One by one, we came out of this room and we were led to like sit on this chair in the middle of the room, like blindfolded or something. And I remember when we sat down, the prank was that there was a wet rag on the seat. And I remember thinking like, well, thank God I'm not on my period because I was wearing sheer pants. And now that they're wet, they would have been see-through and my pad, everyone would have seen my pad. I remember Mm -hmm. that was the first thought that went through besides my initial physical startle when I sat down in this cold, wet rag. Don't know what the point of this was. (laughs) And then I remember wanting to tell, I remember objecting. I did not find any of it funny, Mm -hmm. even though everyone else was laughing. And I remember wanting to tell Um, one of my best friends who had yet to come down the stairs, like, you can't do this to her. Like, I felt like I would be betraying my friend if I let her be humiliated in front of everyone like this. And I felt so conflicted, like, no, 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 like, like, you know, calm down, calm down. It's fun. It's all fun. It's all in play. You know, I, I felt horribly guilty for it, but I did. I calmed down. I sat, I watched them do this to the girl that I was closest to. She laughed you know, even though like, Mm. I don't think anyone liked this prank, but afterwards I remember one of the youth pastors approaching me and being like, you seemed like you had a really big reaction to that. You know, like what, what was going on? And I'm like, do you think Jesus would have done this prank? Mm. And I was so, I I was still so deeply troubled by, I was telling Mm. her, I'm going to call my dad to come pick me up from the sleepover because I don't want to be here. You know, I don't think you're doing anything Jesus would have done. I don't think Jesus would humiliate his friends by pulling a prank like this. And she listened to me. She's like, I can see that, you know, like there's not very many Bible stories of Jesus having fun. <laughs> um, he's usually busy doing other more serious, preachy, healy things. Yeah. Um, he sat so, out partying at the clubs. <laughs> yeah. He turned water into wine one time, arguably yeah. that's supposed to make people think like, oh no, Jesus knew how to party. You know, yeah, yeah. But like I just, I, I remember that was another of my, my personal red flags of just like, something's not right but something mm-hmm. is not right. And, you know, there are other red flags were when these giant baggy t-shirts would be handed out to girls at youth group who came in and like spaghetti straps or halters, they needed to be modest. And that was a flag of just like, I don't think Jesus would publicly shame people for, you know, not knowing the Christian rules, especially if right. this is like their first time to a Christian church, you're going to make them feel ashamed. Like it didn't add up lots of things like that. Yeah. I remember when I, when I first got out of Nexium and I got the whole checklist of like what makes a cult and, and, or abusive group or in any way. And it was, one of the things was like, look at what they do, not what they say. Mm. And, and that was, a, yeah, that was really like, wow. Yeah. They say this is a success program and yet they make you feel bad when you achieve any success because you're just attached. Like that's, a, that was such a, like, I couldn't make that work in my head. And I, yeah. I think those things. And then when you question it, then you're gaslit, which yeah. you were, you were gaslit so much yeah. by so many people in your, in your life and your leaders and your pastors. And would you say your parents, but not, not with bad intent, like more just to get you on track, right. As a good Christian. You know, when I think of the word gaslight, I usually associate it with a, de- a more deliberate, a deliberate? Manipu- manipulation, yeah. same. even though the effect can be the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. Regardless of your motives, if you're teaching someone not to trust themselves and you're telling them that their their feelings are wrong, their read is inaccurate, and that they're wrong for reading it that way, not like, oh, I think you might have misunderstood that. Like, here, mm-hmm. let me help you clear that up. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. It's like, you need to check yourself. You mm-hmm. need to take that to God, you know, because yeah, it's challenging your wrong. whole process <laughs> yeah. of having an impression of something. Yes, yes. And so yeah. I think I think for me my ex, in my experience, yes, looking back now, I can definitely see a lot of what you know, a psychological term might embody is gaslighting, but I think what Christianity taught me most effectively was how to gaslight myself. Yes. It became just so ingrained in me to always be questioning my own motives, my own reads, my own interpretations, my own feelings. That's what I mean when I say like, I didn't know who I was. I, I didn't even exist. I just felt like there was no sense of Alice inside, even though she was very much there. And I can see mm-hmm. that too, in retrospect, mm-hmm. in the moment, other people were gaslighting me from the sincerity of their hearts mm-hmm. in the ways they gaslit, gaslit themselves yes. Yes. because they're mm-hmm. just doing what the Bible says, which is to lean not on your own understanding and know that your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. So they're being good wow. Christians, teaching yes. me to be a good Christian because we're taught that that's mm-hmm. what love is. Love holds one another accountable. And I'm very allergic to accountability these days. <laughs> 
if I'm hearing you, you are still getting an impression of the world. And there is an Alice in there. Like one of those three people or two people mm-hmm. is the right Alice who is the person and is operating on a set of principles. Mm-hmm. It's just which one is you and which one's the programming, right? And how do you yeah. reconcile that? And also she doesn't know until later, your book really put the reader in your thought process which I think is so mm-hmm. important. And I, I'm going to make sure that all of our listeners read your book because in a way that I, I felt like I couldn't in my book, like I mm-hmm. wasn't able to bring people into my mind and mm-hmm. the, the back and forthness of the dilemma to know what was right. You really brought people there. And especially as you, I'm going to skip to that moment you said when you actually, what we can't say, woke up or saw the light. <laughs> mm-hmm. Will you tell us about your betrothment? And how that came to be the thing to really shake it up. Yeah. So this was my biggest red flag that began what I now would refer to as my deconstruction or, Mm -hmm. you know, the the early beginnings of my ultimate deconversion. Uh, I was 17 years old. A big part of the type of Christianity that I was brought up in was centered around what's now called purity culture. And for anyone who's not familiar, it's a very overbearing emphasis on sexual purity um, for for both boys and girls. But girls have the added burden of being the gatekeepers of boys, not just for their actions, but for even their thoughts. And so girls have to be essentially thought police, not only for ourselves and each other, but for the men around us to make sure that we're not going to behave or speak or dress or laugh even in a way that might make a male around us stumble into sin by causing him to lust or essentially be attracted to us. So Mm -hmm. basically, we were told the lip service of men, you need to be responsible for your own thoughts and actions. That's between you and God. But girls you, it is your responsibility to help support your brothers in Christ by making sure you are modest at all times with every deed, word, and action. Another part of this purity culture that I took to probably one of the more oomph degrees, there were varying degrees of commitment to purity culture in the youth groups that I found myself, like some teenagers would date, you know, I I don't think that they would have admitted if they were having sex before marriage, because that was just a given. You, you, You just don't. Also not being anything other than heterosexual was just a given. So we didn't even talk about non-binariness or, or homosexuality uh, in my youth group specifically, not to my recollection. For me, in my heart, because I always took things very seriously and very literally, I believed that God wanted me to be faithful to my future husband before I even knew him. And this came from a, a Bible verse in the book of Proverbs about how the woman did her husband good and not evil all the days of her life. So to do one's husband good then meant that you are faithful to him in every way before you even know who he is, which meant for me, not dating, not flirting, not even letting myself have a crush, which I really struggled with. And I write about that in my book because I was, I was a really boy crazy teen girl. It was like the thorn in my side. I thought that, you know, like, fuck, like, I guess this is the big sin that, cause it was other, not committing other sins came pretty easily to me. I wasn't really tempted to lie or cheat or like do drugs. You know, it was, I was tempted to have a crush. And so I denied myself all these things, fully buying into the promise that if I was faithful to this future spouse, who I would eventually find out because God would confirm it through my spiritual elders and through the man himself. Because there's always a question like, well, how are you going to know who your future husband is if you don't date? Well, God's going to tell you. God's going to tell the Uh, other people in your life and and confirm it externally so that you don't have to doubt yourself and doubt if it's your own fleshly desires to marry a certain person. So I bought into it. How convenient. (laughs) You're suppressing natural instincts and those instincts that you follow are the ones where you make mistakes and you grow and you're not only just denying yourself things, you're denying yourself the wisdom that comes from dating and figuring out that's not the person, et cetera. Yes. And what your, what your needs and wants are and how to learn how to communicate, how to compromise, how to, what turns you on, what turns you off, you know? And like, there's, yes, absolutely. There's a lot of that, that gets stunted Mm -hmm. when you grow up in this sort of 
sort of thing. And, you know, like I said, I took it really to heart. I really bought into it. And so when I was 17, right before I turned 17, I moved to Los Angeles because around that time, you know, God had called me to acting and I moved to Los Angeles. And the first couple of months, my mom and my siblings were here with me. And then once I got a roommate, they went back home to Colorado. Coincidentally in Christianity, there's no such thing as coincidence, but coincidentally, a boy from my Colorado youth group also moved to LA around the same time. He was three years older than me, so he was 20. And I just thought like God had to move there to be a friend, to help me navigate this hedonistic secular world I'd never been a part of. Um, Because I was homeschooled my entire life until I went to community college briefly. So there was that added layer of insulation from the outside world. I very rarely have ever interacted with people who did not share my belief system. So I thought like, oh, God called Luke to move out here the same time as me because he knew I'd need a friend to like help me navigate because Luke had gone to public school. So that was my logic at the time. He was just a friend. And he knew that I didn't date. He'd expressed when we were on a mission trip in India that he'd like to get to know me better. But I had been very upfront with him that, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for my future husband and I don't think that would honor him. And God's called me to this and that. And I don't date. And he was like, cool, we could be friends. So we were friends. And when he moved out here, yeah, we just, I, again, reiterated to him, like, we're just friends. Our hangouts are not dates. Could not have been clear. One day, out of the blue, he announced that God had shown him I was his future wife. And it always sounds like crazy to say out loud and, and from the place I am now because I went along with it instantly, instantly. Like there was never a part of me that was like, come on, dude, like you're just projecting your own motives. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like what you said earlier, Sarah. Um, yes. No, for me, it was like, how could I have not seen this coming? Of course it would be him. God had us move out here at the same time, blah, 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 you know, and that was the biggest red flag because I did not feel anything romantically for him. And I'd been told that God was going to bless me with this epic love story and reward my faith with this, you know, incredible romance. And I was just, again, I was a boy, crazy, romantic teenage girl. And I just believed that it was going to be, you know, even better than anything I could imagine if I trusted God to let it happen. And so that it it was revealed to be Luke just broke me. It devastated me. And of course, I couldn't even process that because I was so scared that if I admitted even to my own self that I was disappointed, it meant I was going against God and therefore allowing Satan a foothold because it wasn't just Luke saying this. Long story short, he called my dad to formally ask for my hand in marriage. My dad also expressed that God had shown him that Luke and I were going to get married. Luke's mom, who to my recollection was considered something of like a prophet, psychic type in our community, had also heard from God that I was going to be your future daughter-in-law. So there was all of this external confirmation that confirmed it was not just Luke's own fleshly desires. And because God, again, had never talked to me directly, I just figured, of course, you know, why would God have told me? And furthermore, it makes sense that God would have told Luke and not me because this is the beginning of me learning how to submit to my husband's leadership. You know, female submission to the male headship of, in the household is um, a heavily stressed aspect of this, this expression of Christianity. So, you know, we were, we were betrothed. That's the word that I came to use because I couldn't say engaged because when I thought of people who were engaged, they always seemed so happy. And I felt mm-hmm. like I was facing an arranged marriage. It wasn't arranged in the sense that like, you know, our parents got together and decided this was going to happen. It felt like God arranged this marriage and his divine plan for our lives. And I was supposed to either go along with it, but God did give me free will so I could choose not to go along with it. But God also allows consequences to those who disobey his will. So. It's like, you know, you have free will, but it's your choice to go to hell. You can do that. God loves you enough to give you that choice. That's very confusing. That is (laughs) so confusing. And also, you know, Alice, when you said this sounds crazy, I think if I hadn't gone through my own experience or done, you know, all this research on all these different groups, I probably wouldn't get it. But I do get it because your framework, you explained your framework, your beliefs and your assumptions that everything rests on, which is that like God exists. And he knows best, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and, and he decides. So in that framework, what you're saying wasn't crazy and also totally relatable. We didn't have God, but Keith is good mm-hmm. and he knows best. So it's the mm-hmm. same fucking thing, right? 
It is. It, I totally, totally get it. I was so happy when your mom stepped in and gave you permission <laughs> to not marry him. I was like, yay, mom. Because up until now, I'd been kind of pissed at your parents <laughs> in the story. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and now I was like, oh, mom. And then I cried because yes. like my mom also like helped me out of my journey, as you know. And, and I had this big like mom cry. I'm so happy yeah. that she she gave you that out, which was to say like also another interpretation of God is like God wants you to be happy and God is love and not pain, actually. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because like spoiler alert, like I'm really close with my parents. Now. Yes. And I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> yes, I, I am. And, uh, you know, they left that type of Christianity, too. They don't even really call themselves Christians anymore, but it took years for them and their own story is, is theirs, you know, and their, their timelines a, a little different than mine and they're, and from each other's too. But yeah, by that point, my mom had stopped going to church and she still believed in God and would still use the Christian language, but she'd stopped going to church. And that was why initially I didn't trust her because I thought like you heathen, like you left the fold, like, of course, wow. Satan's going to be using you to tell my flesh what it wants to hear that I don't have to marry this guy. I don't love, you know, but at the same time, like it was confusing because even though my idea of God was a very fearful one, for the most part, it was fused with so much love. And that's another thing that stood out to me too. When I was reading your book, Sarah, was there were good nuggets in there. There was a reason people joined. There's a reason people stayed. There were good things. And for, for me growing up, you know, it's like, yes, God, you know, has this hell that we're supposed to believe in him to avoid, but we're told this is love and that, you know, you're, you're the free will to go to hell is an act of love. And so everything was an act of love, which, you know, I had to reconstruct what love even is, uh, as an adult. A lot of people do that <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for different reasons, for so many different That's reasons, right. sometimes because of their family right. origin, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. You know, it's, you're not alone. You know. You're not alone. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It just, it, it was confusing because, you know, my mom's idea of God was this loving, unconditionally loving what he'd always been to her. And what I know now was that my mom the whole time was believing in a very different God than I believed in, than I think even Mm. my dad believed in. It wasn't the biblical God. It was like found through that framework, but it was a very personal God. And for me, God just was never personal. So all I have was this book that everyone referenced and the book was awful. It was heinous. It was terrifying. (laughs) So it was like, and this is love. Okay. Okay. I guess the problem's me still. (laughs) But yeah, that was what began that arranged betrothal was what began like my eventual deconversion a few years later, because it was the first time that I allowed myself to acknowledge that God betrayed me, that God was not real to me. And that if he was not going to be real to me the rest of my life, was I willing to live my life for him? That's the short way of, you know, a three-year tailspin of doubt and Mm -hmm. fear, just uh, living in utter terror. Uh, And anxiety. Yeah. And anxiety, self-hatred. Hey there, hope you're enjoying the episode. Quick reminder to follow us on Instagram. You can also share your favorite episodes with friends who may or may not be in a cult and also reach out to us to let us know who you would love to hear as a guest. And now a word from our sponsors. Our team at A Little Bit Culty Podcasts loves the Blood Ties podcast because it is gritty and current and fascinating. It's also a little bit culty. Blood Ties, the award-winning audio drama from Wondery, returns for its third season, Strange Days, with another thrilling story about greed, power, and deception. Five years have passed since Eleanor, played by Jillian Jacobs of Community, took over as CEO of the infamous Richland Family Empire, alongside her half-brother, Santino, played by Christian Navarro of 13 Reasons Why. Together, they decide to invest the family fortune in a groundbreaking, controversial new drug. But as shocking revelations about the new treatment emerge, Eleanor and Santino go to every length to protect their control of the Richland family dynasty. As Eleanor's father always said, medicine is a bloody business. Listen to Blood Ties, Season 3, Strange Days, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or you can binge the whole series now, early and ad-free, by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Truth time. Leaving a cult is stressful. Nippy's hair took a big hit. Mine too, to be honest. 
But that's just life. Stress and hormone fluctuations and all kinds of things can show up in your hair. That's why I'm glad I found Nutrafol. I feel like my hair is already healthier. Nutrafol's whole body approach multi-targets underlying root causes like stress, hormone fluctuations, and nutrient gaps for visibly thicker, stronger hair. It's physician formulated. Plus, I love that it's 100% drug-free and packed with vitamins, minerals, and natural ingredients. I've already noticed that I shed far less, and I am thrilled with the results. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code CULTI. Find out why over 400 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code CULTI. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code CULTI. Enjoy. Hello, Culty friends. Sarah here. As you probably know about us, we are always on the go. Sometimes between the boys' schedule, the podcast, and just life in general, it feels like somebody permanently pressed the fast forward button. We are still working on slowing down where we can, but until we figured out how to bend the rules of space and time, we still have to solve for snacks because no matter how busy or unbusy we are, we still got to eat, you know? And as a mom, I'm always searching for the healthy snacks on the go and to fill my pantry with things that the boys will actually eat. Luckily, Chomps is that perfect snack and we can always keep them with us. We always have their meat sticks on hand in the car, in my purse, my yoga bag, in the boys' lunches, wherever they need them so we can refuel with something tasty that has clean, wholesome ingredients. Chomps meat sticks have over nine grams of protein and no unhealthy additives or sugar. Plus they're low carb, keto friendly, allergy friendly, and don't contain any fillers. From weight management to better metabolism, hormone regulation, and bone health, the benefits of a high protein diet are abundant. But most of us aren't getting enough protein in our diet as is. Chomps make that easy to get protein in your diet while on the go. Right now, Chomps is offering our listeners 20% off your first order and free shipping when you go to chomps.com slash culty. Go to chomps.com slash culty to see all the delicious flavors and get 20% off your first order and free shipping. That's C-H-O-M-P-S dot com slash culty. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. Happy snacking. I, I like hearing your story because it does feel and my impression of you as you talk that, you know, you're faced with circumstances, but even in the story you're talking about how the girls were sitting down on the wet rag and you didn't like how they were doing it. There's a principle that emerges that you're coming from each time. Mm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So there is a you in there. Like you didn't, you weren't mm-hmm. cool with someone being humiliated. That's rooted in a principle mm-hmm. that's being revealed to you. Similarly, mm. she's a um, kind person. When you felt like you had to get married, it really provoked and exposed into you a right wrong of a situation. Mm. If that makes sense. So that feels like a you in there that's coming out as a result of this. And maybe because it's been just pushed down so, yeah, so much, you know, whatever provokes it, you know, similarly with Sarah and I, I think, you know, there was a point where like, no, 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 this is what's being violated. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's a journey of self-discovery and then the language that comes with articulating the upholding of the principle. Mm-hmm. And then you have this principle, right? What are you attributing it to? Is it God or is it you? Right. <laughs> is that kind of what I'm hearing? And yeah. like, you know, as you go through that process and then your mom's situation kind of got the final essence of it out. Yeah. Right? I think she could pick up that my true self, the Alice that always did exist, mm-hmm. didn't love this man or want to marry him. Mm-hmm. She could see that I was deeply unhappy and she could tell that I needed to hear from outside myself that I did not have to marry him. And that's what allowed me to walk away, even though it still took some time for me to actually break things off with him. But yeah, I can, I would totally agree with that, that there were always glimmers of my true self, of my principled mm-hmm. self, of who, who Alice right. is and what Alice stands for. And of course, just like any person, I have my moments of selfish indulgence, you know, of fucking up, let's just say, you know, and, and I do my best to own up when I fucked up. It's like, oh, that was not very kind of me. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> like, but, right. but yeah, there was also in learning how to do that without shaming myself or thinking that I caved into the devil by doing a bad thing. I also had to learn to take personal credit 
uh, as well as responsibility right. for my good things. Like, no, I, right. I, I do genuinely care about people. I mm-hmm. do think that humiliating people publicly is wrong. I was able to learn how to take ownership of my flaws and my integrity without crediting it to Satan or God. And part of my growth um, post-Christianity has been in in experimenting with that and learning the hard way. How do I find that out? How do I find out what I really think, how Mm -hmm. I really feel? How do I learn how to trust myself? How do I learn how Mm -hmm. to love myself and rewire what love even is? And what does that mean? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's been, that's been the focus of that was the focus mainly of my of my 20s and I'm 35 now almost 36 and it's it's still something like I said that I I imagine it's something I may always be uh learning yeah. and I'm happy to You can enjoy it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm happy that's, that's, to. Yeah, 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 you don't have to go through that process. All of that can come from I don't want to give away all the nuggets in the book, but like it can come from a place of worthiness and mm. self-love and going on that journey versus like I'm shit and I'm broken. Or in your words, I'm sinning and, you know, worthless and I need to go on this big journey to get God's love. It's it's starting from now that you've gone through this journey, you're, you can approach that analysis from a wholesome, loving, I don't even have the words for it because I'm still trying to figure it out myself too, mm-hmm. but it, it, it doesn't have, you don't have to, to make yourself unworthy to go on a self-discovery journey. It can be a loving process is sort of what I'm hearing. Yes. You don't need to self-flagellate yeah. or self-denigrate to facilitate growth. You can forgive yourself mm-hmm. and see like, oh, I just did a shitty thing. Why did I do that? You know, <laughs> why did I do that? <laughs> Whether it's just like being snappy or, you know, like realizing like, oh no, I had like, I don't know, like I just when, whenever we do just, you know, things that we wouldn't want done unto us, mm-hmm. right. being able to look at that and be like, oh, I just did that shitty thing. Why did I do that? Uh, hmm, well, how can I avoid doing that again? Mm-hmm. You know, like to, to treat myself with love, to forgive myself, be like, okay, so mm-hmm. I did a shitty thing. Maybe it was even unto my own self. I am worthy of my own forgiveness. Yes. And yeah. it's not going to help me grow to wallow in shame. One could argue for like the, the evolutionary necessity of shame as a social mm-hmm. survival tool. Fear of ostracism means basically fear of death. You know, if we can't survive outside of our social groups, I understand the role that shame has facilitated in bringing our species to where we are today. Mm-hmm. Sure. But there's a difference. We, we actually spoke about that in our last podcast oh, really? a little bit. Yeah. Oh, fun. I yeah. can't wait to listen yeah. to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like that um, one. Yeah. But you're going you're going in a wonderful direction that we didn't. So keep going. <laughs> <laughs> what I view now is like a lot of people have different definitions of the ideas, the differences between um, guilt and shame. I think that for me, shame like wallows in a way that's not productive. Yes. Whereas like guilt over being like, oh, like, yeah, I did something wrong. I feel bad about it. How could I make it right? You can self-correct. It has a self-correct and a conscience aspect to it. Shame has a suffering Exactly. Component. Exactly. Yeah. And I th- and it also, for me, I needed to learn to ex- accept that it's okay if I suffer. It's okay if this, you know, letting go of shame doesn't come quickly to me. I needed to give myself permission to like, let go of shame and baby steps because that habit was just so ingrained. I can relate <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Do you feel like being public with your story helped you overcome some of that shame? I do. I do. There's been all these little, little moments since my books come out that I've been realizing like, wow, like, I don't know if I would have gotten here if I hadn't written my book. I think that there's such a power to putting outside yourself in some way, shape or form, a chronology of your life. There's such a clarity that can be helpful to some people, maybe not everyone, and maybe not in the same ways. But for me, being able to put my thoughts outside of myself always has had a calming, clarifying effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a journaler. And I understand that for other people, you know, all running does the same thing for them, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think we all find yeah. a sense of peace and clarity and self-reflection in a different way. But but yeah, I definitely think sharing my story, putting it out there, taking the time to write it, which took almost 10 years off and wow. on. It took wow. me a very long time. Wow. I think now that I've like, release this outside of me. Oh, that really helped. Like that mm-hmm. helped clarify to myself the pattern of what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it, I definitely had all of these little epiphanies. And I still do, especially doing the, you know, the podcasting mm-hmm. and talking with different friends about it and doing different interviews about it. It's like, oh yeah, that definitely 
that definitely did help me, you know, and it's mm. hard for me to mm. imagine my life any other way now. Do you think Alice knows that I want to be her BFF? Did you tell her, Sarah? I'll message her. I think she's great and she's doing wonderful things in this cult recovery space. And she's got a website called Dare to Doubt, which I've put on my resource list, sarahedmondson.com slash resources. There's more to this conversation. So if you come back next week for part two with Alice, we're going to talk more about what happens in the brain when people have these transformational, life-changing experiences. See you next time on A Little Bit Culty. Bye for now. Deuces. Sinking down to the depths of the ocean. I'm hanging on to the weight of my love. If I let go of it all, I could leave. But I know. Let's keep the conversation going. We'll be back soon with more episodes of A Little Bit Culty with more experts and survivors. And sometimes experts who are survivors, as well as some familiar faces from The Vow from HBO. If you've got suggestions or questions on upcoming topics, find us on Instagram at a little bit culty. And for more background on what brought me here, my memoir, Scarred, the true story of how I escaped Nexium, the cult that bound my life, is available on Amazon, Audible, and where most books are sold. If you'd like to help us spread the word about a little bit culty podcast, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. Seriously, like take out their phone and tell them to press subscribe. Takes a second. We're also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app. And if you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast to find show notes and helpful resources. You might also find some offers from our sponsors there. And when you support our sponsors, you help us keep this podcast going. Just don't be a little bit culty about it. A Little Bit Culty is executive produced by me, your co-host, Sarah Edmondson, and Anthony Nippy Ames. That's me. Associate producer is Jess Tardy. Produced, edited, mixed, and mastered by Citizens of Sound. Our amazing theme song, Cultivated, is by John Bryant and co-written by Nigel Asselin. I'm Sarah Edmondson, and thanks for listening to A Little Bit Culty.